insert, molten insert there for you. We've been talking about the race of faith and how Jesus has run it, how people before us have run the race of faith. And the writer of the book of Hebrews now turns to us and gives us an exhortation uh, and speaks to the Hebrews uh, church where they're at in their time of need. So hear these words from the scriptures. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The word of the Lord. It was October 31st, 2004, a day that will live in infamy for me. It was the morning of the start of the Marine Corps Marathon, and myself and 20,000 of my closest friends decided we were going to run a long race together. This had been the culmination of a, a lot, a lot of training and a goal of trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I've talked about this somewhat. And this was the day and I trained hard. In fact, some might say that I overtrained because I had a little bit of a cold and that was of some concern as I was going to try to push my body to the limits. Additionally, as we woke up, it was a very warm day. Conditions on the course were going to be brutal and I was asking the question, how was I gonna make it to the end with my goal? Well, things started off okay with the fanfare and the joy as we went running and uh, we were into the race. I was running with a buddy of mine and everything was looking okay. In fact, we, we finished the first 13 miles on pace. An hour and 30 minutes was what I needed to run there. Hour and 35, excuse me, on pace. And things are looking okay. But there are disquieting signs beginning in my body. As I start to feel a little bit of the strains of the pace, as I feel the wear and tear of the cold and the heat, and my body begins to send warning signs to me. Warning, warning, much like a car, the line, the uh, arrow starts to go to the right, into the red, as I, I feel my body starting to fight against me, wanting to stop, wanting to shut down. And now I'm fighting like crazy. It's everything I can do to try to keep going. But my pace begins to slow. My head begins to droop. My hands begin to fall as I succumb to my weakness. And it is not very long before I realize that there is no way that I'm going to qualify for the Boston Marathon today. In fact, there's a great question whether I'm going to be able to finish this race at all. And at a certain point, I have to send my buddy along, and I realize that my goals are not going to happen. I ran the first half of that marathon in an hour and 30 minutes. I ran the last half of that marathon in three hours as I ground out a walk and painful stumble to the finish line. You know, it's tough when your dreams are dashed. When you're going and everything seems to be going okay and all of a sudden life gets hard. You feel the pressure. Your hands start to droop. You lose vision of where you're going. And you're in danger of falling out of the race. 
That's what's going on with this church right here in the book of Hebrews. They're in danger, aren't they? How do we know that? We see that their hands are droopy. Their knees are watery. They're loose. They're weak. They're not even going in a straight line anymore. They're wobbling from side to side of the course. They're in trouble. They're about to shut down. Maybe you and I can sympathize to some degree with this church in Hebrews. Maybe your faith is in the same place right now. You, you are having difficulty seeing past your feet and you're feeling the effects of this race of faith and you're wondering if this thing is worth it after all. What do you do when you feel like you can't go on anymore? It was Winston Churchill that says, if, you, if you're going through hell, keep going. And the message that this, the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying is exactly that. If you're going through hell, keep going. Because the path to joy is paved with the stones of obedience. The path to joy is paved with the stones of obedience. And so this writer here, he gives us a little when in doubt, break glass instruction. You ever seen that? You know, when you're in an apartment building emergency, when in doubt, break glass. And so for the next three hours, we're going to talk about what to do when we want to shut down in our faith. This writer gives us three simple admonitions. When you're going through hell, number one, start walking. Don't slow down. In fact, speed up. Start walking when you want to stop. Number two, seek help. When you feel alone, find those around you who are walking with you. And number three, don't settle for a lesser prize than what God has called you to. Because the path to joy is paved with the stones of obedience. So let's dissect these three points. Number one, when you're going through hell and you want to stop, start walking. The Hebrews are clear that this church and the book of Hebrews, they're clearly in trouble. In fact, it, it seems that they're injured. Notice it says that something is lame. Something is lame. They've, they've gone. They've pushed themselves so far. It would have seemed that something is hurt. And so some advice is given here by this writer. But it's very counterintuitive. See, whenever you're running and you get hurt and you have this injury that just keeps nagging, you know what the instruction is? Rest. Take your foot off the pedal, sit down, rest. But the counsel that the writer is giving here is exactly the opposite. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See, he's saying even though you're feeling like you're hurt, act like you're not. Move faster, don't move slower. And so we discover something very important. The reason that they are hurt is not because they're exercising their faith. The reason that they're hurt is precisely because they're not. It's in slowing down that they're getting hurt, not in speeding up. See, they're living a life of sight, not a life of faith. And as a result, their life is powerless. They have no strength. They've become weak because they're stopping not because they're going. Where is it that they're slowing down? Where is it that they're falling down on the job? Look at verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Okay, we're going to talk about peace with everyone in our second point. But this point I want to touch on. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, these people in the church, in fact, us as well, anyone who is a Christian has been set apart. Remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about holiness and what it is and how God is holy. And how God is the one who is apart from everyone else. And in order to see the Lord, we must be holy. We must be set apart. And so it is God through Jesus Christ who has set a people apart. He's given them a new name. Sons and daughters of God. He's given them a new inheritance. Heaven. He's given them a new way to live. The way of holiness. See, Christianity isn't just something like a mindset, a philosophy that I can either buy into or not. It's an entire different way to live. And so he's saying, strive for this holiness without which you will not see the Lord. Strive to live by faith. Strive to be defined by an entire way of different existence, empowered by a different power. But what is this church doing? See, they've looked at all the difficulties that are going around them, and they're shirking back from this life of faith. They're living by sight. They're living by all that they see, all of the pressures upon their life. And it's slowing them down. The result is they're living an incongruent life. The life of faith that they've been called to and the life of sight that they're actually living. You know how you dislocate something? Part of your body goes one way and another part goes the other way. They have a dislocated life. The result is they're losing power. There's no power for life. But you see, they're pushing back and they're saying, but this life that you're called us to, God, it's too hard. It's too difficult to live with faith. It's too difficult to put all of my treasure, all of my hopes on you as my property is seized, as my reputation is tarnished, as my job is taken away because of my faith. I can't live to the standard that you're calling me to. You see, the result is they're living an ordinary life because they have no power. They put their emotions in the driver's seat of their life instead of the truth of God. But God is saying to them, if you run, I will give you the strength. If you are obedient to me and my word, I will give you the power to live in a new life. I'm calling you to an impossible life but I'm giving you an impossible Savior. And they're just not running. You know, one of my favorite, uh, uh, I like biology a lot. I'd really love to have as a pet a shark, by the way. You know, I got a pool in the back. Wouldn't it be great to have some sharks in the back? Now, granted, you could never swim, but you'd never be bored. But I heard something very interesting about sharks, you know, fish. The way that, they, you know, they, they get their oxygen from the water. So fish, the way that they get oxygen is they, they open and close their mouths. And as they do that, water rushes in and passes over the gills, and the gills extract the oxygen. But sharks are very different. Sharks can't do that because of the way their gills are set up. And as a result, if the shark wants to get oxygen, the shark has to swim. Sharks are always swimming. They never stop. There was this one thing about the sleeping sharks. I don't know if you remember the National Geographic. It was because they found a place where there was enough current flowing where they could get the oxygen. So sharks, even when they're sleeping, 
They, they turn off parts of their brain so that they can continue to swim, so that the water can pass over their gills and they can receive that oxygen. See, that's the same message that God is giving here. He's saying that if you walk by faith, I will give you the power to walk by faith. If you want energy, start walking. Make straight your paths. Move forward. For it is by the grace of God that you will have what you need, not only for salvation, but also for sanctification. See, Christian living is a, a paradox. God calls us to live obediently and at the same time to live dependently. One eye on God's word and the other eye on God's strength. See, maybe right now you have a case of what I would call spiritual anemia. Anyone know what anemia is? When you don't have enough oxygen in your blood. And as a result, you're weak. You don't have any strength. You're living on your strength. The result is no power for life. And you become weak. What is God saying here? He's saying, commit to His ways. 1 Peter 2.2 puts it this way. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation. He's saying walk toward holiness. And as you walk toward holiness, in obedience, craving and living by God's word, I will give you the strength to live by my way. So I encourage you and exhort you to learn God's word if you don't know it yet. How can I know how to live if I don't know God's word? That's why we have the book of James study. That's why we're doing the women's Bible study on Jonah. That's why we're doing the men's Bible study on Counterfeit Gods. That's why we're coming together for prayer, that we might hear the Word and exhort one another to walk. Because it is when you walk that you experience the strength and power of God. There is someone at work in the life of the Christian, and we need it to be Jesus. If you are going through hell, keep going, because the path to joy is paved with the stones of obedience. Well, this brings me to my second point. If we're to start walking, we're also to seek help. See, this writer here is talking about two different dimensions of our walk. One is vertically, living with holiness toward the Lord. But the second is horizontally, living with encouragement and strength toward each other. See, the problem is these, this church of the Hebrews, they've gotten weak. They've gotten fatigued. And so they're all living in silos. It was Vince Lombardi that said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. See, they're only looking out for number one right now because they're wobbly and they're unsteady. And because of that, they're lacking the strength to move forward. And so the way that we finish is not only through holiness, but by helping others to finish as well. So we see here that it says to strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness which out." No one will see the Lord. What is this striving for peace? Well, there's a positive aspect of it, and there's a negative aspect of it. First, the positive aspect. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Okay, what's he talking in here? Obtaining the grace of God. That's, that's an oxymoron, isn't it? Kind of like jumbo shrimp, you know? How do you obtain grace? No, he's not talking about obtaining grace. He's saying, see to it that no one falls away from the grace that they've been given in Jesus Christ. Make sure that everyone is able to finish the race. See, we're responsible 
for other people who are on this race of faith. That's what he's saying. Don't leave anybody behind. Keep an eye on them. Look around. Is anyone else with wobbly knees and with a head that's down and drooping hands? See to it that they don't fall away from the grace of God. Encourage them. You know, why is the writer having to give us this command at all? Because the truth of the matter is we need each other. It's hard sometimes to get up out of bed and to run that race of faith, isn't it? I know it was hard when I needed to run those 20-mile runs, but I always had my buddy with me, JT, and I knew he was getting up, and if he was getting up, that was going to help me to get up. See, we need people along the race of faith. Something happens when you get tired and you get fatigued and you start getting wobbly and all of a sudden you can't keep on a straight path. See, that's where you need a buddy alongside you to say, keep going, this is the way. Come on, we're going this way. Think straight. And so we need one another to run this race of faith. But additionally, if we're not running the race of faith, we might do the most dangerous thing of all. We might cause someone else to trip in addition to ourselves. Look at verse 15 again. See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. What is he talking about here? He's saying that make sure that the fruit of your life is not bitter. Because the bitterness of your life will invariably travel into other people and slow them down. It's called cross-pollination. My wife planted a garden recently and we put two different strains of peppers next to each other. Huge mistake. Because what happened is the bees cross-pollinated them. And so when we were eating our green peppers, they had jalapeno in them. They had that flavor because they were cross-pollinated. There's something that happens when you get a group of people in a close group. Our lives can't help but affect one another. I see this all the time that happens in my kids. One of my kids comes home and he's excited about something that happened at school. What he doesn't know is before that, one of... The, one of my other kids came home earlier, and he had a horrible day at school. And so he's just mad at life. And so my other kid walks in, and he starts exclaiming how excited he was about something that was going on. And then my other kid chimes in and just basically tears down his idea. Well, that was stupid. That was whatever. And you can just see the countenance fall in my second child. What has happened? Cross-pollination. See, our life not only affects ourselves. Our life affects others. Christianity is not a solo sport. There's potential for great joy and power as we strengthen one another. But there's also potential for great devastation. I don't know if we have any bicycling fans here. One of my favorite things to watch, especially when Lance Armstrong was doing it, was the Tour de France. Okay, and there's a real science behind this sport of bicycling. Because for most of the time, they travel in a pack. You know this, it's called the peloton in French, which means the little ball. They travel in a ball because they're going like a thousand miles, thousands of miles. And the reason they travel in this ball is for protection and strength, because of wind resistance. If you're in the peloton, it's 40% easier to cycle. And so what will happen is teams will take different turns being in the front of the peloton, blocking the wind, 
so that everybody can rest behind and then they'll rotate. It's like this living organism helping and strengthening one another. But within that peloton, these, there are different groups, different teams that are actually striving to win the Tour de France. And the mentality of a team, which is about eight or ten riders, is that their goal is to get one of their people across the finish line. And so the vast majority of the team are what they call domestiques, servants. Their job is to do whatever it takes to serve those other people who have the chance of winning the race. And so they carry food for the other people, they block wind for the other people. If one of the, the key people has a flat tire, the domestique will come along, they will take off their tire, and they will give it to them. And then they will wait, and then they will have to catch all the, the way back up. See, they understand that their role is to help the other person win. And so they gladly serve. But you know, there's something very dangerous that happens in the peloton as well. Maybe you've seen it when they're riding along and somebody at the front makes a mistake, something careless, and he goes ahead and he wipes out. And the, the peloton is so close to one another that the guys behind can't stop. And literally you start to see a 30 bike pileup as they go over each other again and again. Collarbones are broken, dreams are shattered as the peloton falls apart. See, we are responsible for one another. The reason this church has become weak is because they're not loving each other. Could that be the same for our church as well? See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And so my question for you and for me is, are you doing that? Are you in this race only for yourself? Or are you also in this race for others? Is someone in this race for you? Pity the man or woman who falls down and has no one to help them up. And so my encouragement for you is choose to live in community. Choose to actually be a part of the peloton. We are the peloton. Taking different opportunities to block wind for each other. To travel, to make the path easier. You know what community groups? All they are are different teams in the peloton where specific subsets of riders have come together as we are mutual domestiques for one another, serving one another, encouraging one another, helping one another to win. What team are you a part of? Who's helping you when you are down? See, we need each other if we're going to make it in this race of faith, just as much as these people do as well. If you're going through hell, keep going because the path to joy is paved with the stones of obedience as we ride together. This leads me to my final point, which is to not settle. I don't know if anyone uh, has done the new London Bridge exit. Anybody done that yet? Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? It's great to just get off there real quick and shoot down. They made this new exit right over there, uh, right, at, uh, right before First Colonial Road. The London Bridge exit is fantastic, except if your destination is the oceanfront, isn't it? Then all of a sudden, the London Bridge exit becomes a detour, a snare, one more place to get off on the path that you're supposed to go. And in the story, we see a warning at the end of someone that took a detour, an exit off of this road of faith, 
Look at verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Some of you know the story about Esau. If you remember, Esau and Jacob were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Remember, God came to Abraham and said, I have chosen you and I will make your name great. I will bless you and I will make your name great. And through you, all of the world will be blessed. And this blessing that came to Abraham, Abraham blessed his son Isaac, the blessing of God traveling through the line. And the next one to inherit the blessing was the firstborn of Isaac, and that was Esau. Jacob was the secondborn. That Esau would inherit this promise for his name to be made great, to, to receive the blessing of God, and through him for God to bless the world. But all was not right with Esau. Esau, we saw that God was not, Esau was not as committed to the ways of God as his forefathers, Isaac and Abraham. He took Hittite wives, he took these two wives, Hittite wives, something that he had not been commanded not to do. Women who served other gods. His heart was not wholeheartedly devoted, he loved other things. And so it came to a head one day when Esau was coming from hunting in the field and Jacob was fixing some stew. And Esau was hungry and he was famished. And he said to Jacob, give me some of that stew right now. And Jacob said, I won't give you the stew unless you sell me your birthright. And what does Esau say without even thinking? Oh, what use is a birthright if I die of hunger? Absolutely. See, here was the blessing of God to be favored by God for his name to be great. And Esau, it didn't matter to him as much as a bowl of stew, and he gave it away. See, the truth of the matter is Esau didn't love God. He didn't care about the blessing. He didn't care about God. God was a, a better method until something else came along. You know, it's real interesting. I was on staff with Young Life and have been in ministry, and I've seen different people come to faith. And some people continue to walk with Christ years later. And yet, invariably, I see people going off of the exit ramp as well. What is the difference? Why do some go off the exit ramp while, while some stay? I think it's this, that ultimately the people that pull off the road are in love with the benefits, while the people who stay on the road are in love with the benefactor. I love Jesus because he gives me a better marriage. I love Jesus because he makes my life comfortable. I love Jesus because he'll work out everything for me. And then there's those that say, I love Jesus just because I love him, because he is my heart. And so when something better comes along, they peel off the path because they never, ever in the end tasted that the Lord is good. It's interesting around the dinner table with us, our uh, Maria, who we, who's our adopted daughter, who we got at the age of five and our other kids. When Maria is in the orphanage, she never had the opportunity to have junk food because junk food's too expensive. And so she was raised on natural food, which is cheaper, apples and oranges and bananas and things like that. And as a result, the taste between our kids are very different. See, what Maria wants 
When she wants a snack is those apples and those oranges and those bananas and those carrots because she's tasted and she's acquired a taste for that food. See, she doesn't want the counterfeit stuff. She wants the good stuff. She's tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so this passage is telling us, don't settle. Don't settle for less than the destination that God has called you to, God himself. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because in the end, God doesn't want to give you a better car. God doesn't want to give you a better marriage. God doesn't want to give you a better attitude. God wants to fill your heart and give you himself. And that is enough. All of that flows out of that. When you think about it, for the last 30 minutes, I've been talking about our attempt to get to God. But for us to truly understand that, we must understand that Jesus is God's attempt to get to us. Before our race of faith, there was Jesus's. See, when Jesus was tired, when his hands were down, when he was droop, drooping, when all of the world was against him, Jesus kept walking, setting his face like flint toward Jerusalem. But the path that Jesus Christ took, the path to us was paved with the stones of obedience, the path that ultimately led to the cross. And so Jesus was the one that saw to it that we would not fail to obtain the grace of God. It's Jesus Christ that blocks the wind for us. And it's Jesus, the Son of God, who is the ultimate domestique, who serves us and cares for us and loves us and strengthens us. See, Jesus never wavered in his desire for us, and he never took the shortcut. Jesus won't quit on us, so let's not quit on him. Fall in love not with the benefits of Jesus Christ, but fall in love with Christ himself. Where is your inheritance and your greatest treasure? What is the one thing that you can say, you can take everything, but don't take this. Don't let go of Christ. Sell everything else, but don't settle for anything else than Jesus. I conclude with this thought. I have two jackets here that I wanted to show you. They're my two favorite running jackets. One is of the Boston Marathon. The other is of the Marine Corps Marathon. This was all the glory, but do you know which jacket means more to me? This one right here. Because there's no way this could have happened if this didn't happen. This was the resolution not to quit. And so after this heartbreaking loss, I ran it again, and I qualified. See, this is Christ for us. The one who decided, I'm not going to quit, even if they kill me, because I'm going to be obedient to God. Jesus was going through hell, and he kept going, because the path to us was paved with the stones of obedience. And so the path to our joy as well will be paved with his stones of obedience. By God's grace, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that you ran for us, that even though you were tired, even though you were weakened, you did not fail in your resolve until you led us to victory. And so, Lord, even amidst our race, as we're weary, 
Lord, help us to keep walking, to find our strength in you. Lord, help us to seek one another and to strengthen one another, to encourage one another on this race of faith that we might be domestiques for each of us. Each of us. And Lord, don't let us settle for anything less than the glory that you provide, your very own self. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.